Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze the music, legacy, and cultural impact of all your favorite pop stars. I'm your host, DJ Louis XIV, and I'm a DJ, writer, and all-around pop music fanatic. I've spent my entire life and career thinking about, dissecting, and being obsessed with pop stars. Their music, their legacies, how they relate to one another, to the larger pop musical landscape, and to culture more broadly. What separates an icon from a mere superstar? Why do some careers become the soundtrack to our lives, and why do others flop? Whose work and legacy transcends time, and whose feels stuck in it? Every episode of Pop Pantheon, we'll devote an entire episode to a pop icon. From titans of the genre like Beyonce and all the way down to uh, lesser titans like Nicole Scherzinger. Each episode, you'll hear a little breakdown from me and then some distinguished guests and I will chop it up about their careers, discographies, public personas, live performances, music videos, feuds, tweets, you name it. And at the end, we'll turn pop into fantasy football, make our final judgment, and place them in the official pop pantheon. Hey yo, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Pop Pantheon. I have missed you all dearly over the last couple of weeks, and I always want to thank everybody for coming back and listening again. I have continued to be so floored and touched by the response this podcast has gotten, and all of your enthusiasm and passion for for what we're talking about and for pop and the tribe we're creating here. And I'm so grateful that you're back once again with me for a new episode. I am going to keep my remarks here at the top very brief, except to say, if you haven't yet, go follow us on Pop Pantheon Pod on Instagram because there's community building stuff I want to do over there. I want to start opening the floor up to discussion amongst the audience here. I just, I'm so lit up by all of your passion for these artists and for these conversations. And I want to make sure that we are doing uh, as much community activities as we can, because I love talking about this and I want to talk to all of you guys as much as I can and hear all of your thoughts on pop stars, where they all fit in relation to each other and all your favorite songs and why and what these people mean to you. It's my favorite thing to talk about as I guess is evident to everybody at this point. So pop Pantheon pod is where it's at. Again, as I always say, leave us a comment, leave me five stars to help the podcast grow and other people, uh, be exposed to it via the algorithm on Apple podcasts and wherever you listen to podcasts. And as I usually say, if this is your first time listening, go back and check out the episode mini. sode what is the pop Pantheon in this feed, if you want some details on what the Pop Pantheon is, you don't need to. Actually, this conversation in particular get, goes into quite some detail during the Pantheon discussion because we do a pretty major deep dive where we reassess one of the tiers in a pretty foundational way. But the conversation also includes discussions of some of the other tiers as well. So you really can just uh, dive in and no need to do that. It's only if you're sort of like an A-plus student who just can't get enough of my voice in your ear holes. This week's episode is so fucking good. My guest is literally one of my own personal idols. And the subject is someone that I would have been scared to honestly talk about because she's one of my all-time favorite pop stars. But with this guest, it was everything I could have dreamed of. It's so incredible. So I'm not going to drone on here for too long except to say, here we go. This is Pop Pantheon, all about the niche legend queen herself. Robin. Hey girl in the strobing light, what your mama never told ya. It's 
Robin's career arrived to us in two pretty distinct epics, one based in the purely generic and the other in the thrillingly iconoclastic. Born in Sweden, Robin first arrived to us as part of the teen pop boom of the late 90s and as a protege of future pop mega auteur Max Martin on the 1997 hit single Show Me Love. Show Me Love peaked at number 7 on the Hot 100 here in the US and kind of set a template for future massive Max Martin hits like Britney Spears' Baby One More Time, and it introduced Robin as one amongst many of these young pop acts trading in Martin's singular blend of American R&B and Europop, which would come to dominate American radio soon thereafter on songs by NSYNC, Spears, Backstreet Boys, Celine Dion, Five, but the first hit in this Max Martin boom was Robin's Show Me Love. Always been told that I've got too much pride Too independent to have you by my side But my heart said all of you will see Following a period of major label frustration in which she continued to release music mostly in Europe to middling success and a ton of personal distress, Robin more or less vanished from public consciousness, especially stateside, for nearly a decade following Show Me Love. But when she re-emerged in the mid-aughts, the artists we met then could not have been further from the manufactured teeny bopper Max Martin product we had initially come to know. Sporting an androgynous new look, her own brand new record label called Konichiwa Records, and an electropop sheen from some of Europe's most cutting-edge dance acts like The Knife and Clear Up, Robin released her self-titled album in Sweden and Europe in 2005 to some commercial success but to massive critical embrace. This was dance music that was deemed personal, credible, eccentric, and avant-garde, positioning Robin as the coolest pop star of the day, at least to those of us who knew about her, which in America, where the album wasn't even commercially released right away, was a precious few. But the critical wave that Robin rode with that self-titled reinvention paid dividends a few years later with the massive critical embrace of her 2010 series of EPs, Body Talk, and most pertinently to its titanic lead single, Dancing on My Own. I mean, perhaps you've heard of it? <laughs> Dancing on My Own was quickly pegged as one of the greatest pop singles of the century almost immediately upon its release. It's a disco pop electro banger about watching the person you love make out with someone else from across the dance floor. Who can relate? And it turned body talk into a bona fide cult phenomenon. And Dancing on My Own was no anomaly. Body Talk is widely considered to be one of the greatest pop projects of the decade, filled with those same kind of bangers and the cathartic, open-hearted, often emotionally complex lyrics that have become Robin's trademark. And while none of the singles were radio hits, Body Talk landed at number 8 on Pitchfork's Best Albums of the 2010s. And the influence and impact of songs like Dancing on My Own and Call Your Girlfriend 
grew slowly and steadily over time, spreading by word of mouth, viral music videos, appearances on trend-setting shows like HBO's Girls, Netflix's Orange is the New Black, and RuPaul's Drag Race, and gushing cosigns from more centrist pop stars like Katy Perry and Britney, who openly noted Robin's influence on their own work. Eventually, and without traditional radio or chart success, these songs became definitive hits of the era and made Robin a revered and deeply beloved niche pop star in her own right. After an eight-year hiatus from releasing solo albums, during which she continued to release a series of acclaimed left-of-center collaborative projects, Robin returned with her next solo album, Honey, in 2018. Another radical shift towards softer, quieter, almost impressionistic electro music that was widely embraced with critics. Robin is now often held up as the queen of the indie pop movement an emblem of the way pop as a musical form has been cleaved from needing to be popular and remains a venerated cult figure in the greater pop universe. A testament to this, Robin, who has not charted a single song in the United States since her 1997 breakthrough, sold out Madison Square Garden on her Honey Tour, a feat usually reserved for artists with an arsenal of chart-topping singles and multi-platinum albums, and a crowning achievement in Robin's singular pop journey. Here to discuss the agony and ecstasy of Robin's music and career is the brilliant Gia Tolentino of The New Yorker magazine. Here's my talk with Gia. Okay, so I'm here with Gia Tolentino, staff writer for The New Yorker. Gia, welcome to the podcast. I am psyched to be here. I am so psyched to have you. I am like a total stan. I've been reading your work since Jezebel days through New Yorker and I Trick Mirror was fucking phenomenal. You're a genius and I'm just so honored to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Um, I, I can't wait to talk about Robin, you know? Oh, Gia, do I know? And not just that, but I feel like Robin fans, like we are a unique fandom in 100%. the context. Like standing Robin is is a special thing. It's almost sacred in a way. Yeah, I don't think that I could have a true like existential disagreement with some with anyone that was a fellow Robin fan, you know, like the the vibes. Even when she was at MSG for the Honey Tour, it was like I've never before been to a show at MSG and been like everyone here is tight yeah. as hell. I fucking can't believe you just said that. I, my first topic on here is talk to Gia about the MSG show and ask her whether she was there because I knew I wasn't that a, you were. I was there. I was not at the subway, you know, that like the Sing subway along. impromptu, you know, Robin uh, dance party I, afterwards. I happen, I happen to, yes, I happen to stumble upon wow. that. I, wow. I did not, I, I didn't participate because I was on a different platform, but I heard it. I, 
I felt like that concert was really a full circle moment for everything we're about to talk about today, yeah. which is sort of like the, it, not everything we're going to talk about, but a specific part of what we're going to talk about, which is Robin sort of like redefining how to become a pop superstar in a way that had nothing to do with like actually having like chart success or any of the traditional metrics that most pop superstars are defined by. Yeah. And she and sold yet, out MSG. I mean, it was, and it was very difficult MSG. to get tickets to that show. And I know. Yeah. It was it was it was just a real mind blower for me. It was like seeing her where she was meant to be seen. Like Robin is a pop star that I feel like is meant to command the attention of a giant flock of people that she's communing with, but like she's so unique because most artists that are selling out MSG are, you know, artists like Katy Perry or Lady Gaga are these artists who have tons of traditional metric success, sold millions of albums, had yeah. tons of number one songs. And yet there Robin is having had basically one hit when she was 17. And yet there's 20,000 people showing up to see you know, her. Every word, Garden. every song. Yeah. I, I loved seeing her at that show. I mean, I also, we'll talk about honey. Like I don't want to interrupt the chronological order, but I found yeah. it really like, I remember I, I was there, with it was one of those weeks where like everyone I was the five people I was at the show with we all showed up like in a mood like we had all had days like we all showed up basically on the brink of tears and of course we got there you know like we got hammered and got there within you know 30 minutes and it was just like we had the full Robin catharsis the you know the the crying the ecstasy the you know and and I was so happy to see I I thought you know Robin has her sort of, she peaked with the fembot thing at Body Talk. And I, you know, had generally been sort of musically moved by the softness of Honey. And I found it really kind of amazing to see her, like she was soft in that show. She was sexy mm -hmm. in a way that she usually doesn't lean into when she performs. It was um, an a, a it was an atypical arena show in that way. Because yeah. I actually, it was, it was, almost quiet like it felt as though there was something super intimate about yeah. it in a way that you don't really get when you usually watch an arena and that's that robin magic for you <laughs> yeah exactly like it was simple the whole stage setup was simple yeah even the was mix was dressed. kind of quiet the mix yes. was kind of quiet that that i could that i could disagree with but yeah but in a way in a way it sort of worked because you there's something like there's something so large scale about her music but there's something almost like intimate about Always. being a Robin fan mm -hmm. you know what I mean mm -hmm. and about and and also I guess about what she does musically even mm -hmm. on like epic songs like Dancing on My Own I mean there was nothing that will ever compare to hearing 20,000 people singing Dancing on My Own acapella to her like I feel like that was the moment like I ascended to a higher point <laughs> I'd like to kind of rewind us a little bit because yeah. I do feel like there's sort of two main epics in the Robin tale. And the first is sort of her emergence. And I honestly have come across so many fucking people who do not realize that the Robin mm. who made Show Me Love is the same Robin that, you know, is the Robin we know and love today from Dancing on My Own, etc. Well, can so, I tell you a story about this? About, please. So 
So the first, you know, the song that really converted me, and we'll talk about Show Me Love, but the song that really converted me into a like a lifelong, you know, absolute Robin stan was Be Mine off mm -hmm. of Robin. And mm -hmm. my best friend in college was obsessed with that song before I was. And he was from the UK and like, you know, it came out, that whole album came out like a year earlier there, whatever. But I, he was like, you know, this is the best song I've ever heard. And yeah, I was like, literally. He was like, it's by Robin. And I was like, come on, like that Robin. I was like, please, you know, this was like 2005. And I was like, no, I like Sigur Rós and, you know, like Flaxons <laughs> or whatever. And yeah. um, I, I was like, no way. Like I, you know, stop being sort of ironic about, I was like, I don't, I'm not interested. And then he played it for me and I was like, holy shit. And I had so dismissed that song because it sounded like, you know, it's a good song, you know, but it, it sounds, it sounded so much like all of the other super generic, you know, like everything sounds like All Saints, TLC, Spice Girls, mm -hmm. like Britney. Oh, so you're Demo. talking about show? You're talking about Show Me Love now. Show Me Love, and and, and yeah, so yeah. I had, I was like, there's no way that the person who made that is anything but a one hit wonder. You know, I just completely forgotten about Robin mm. since then, and then mm. I. And then I was just so amazed. Like as soon as I got yes. mine, I was like, oh no, I'll be obsessed with this artist for the rest of my life. Absolutely. But so the, the way Robin arrived to us, though, was pre-Britney, pre-Christina. She was in some ways, and Show Me Love in particular, which was her big hit single that came out in 1997 and was produced and written by a then somewhat unknown Max Martin, who for anybody that doesn't know, I'm sure everybody that's listening to this podcast knows who Max Martin is, but just in case, is the most prolific pop producer of the modern era, the most number one singles produced and written uh, by any artist besides the Beatles. I mean, this man and, and the longevity of his career, starting with Robin and sort of like up and through songs that are were hits last year. I mean, right. like every Taylor song, every Katie song, every Kesha song, uh, you know, Ariana. I mean, like literally he's the man. So this man is a pop pillar. And it should be pointed out that the sort of hit that is pegged as his international breakthrough is Hit Me Baby One More Time, the Britney song. But his first real hit was this song called Show Me Love in 1997 by this girl, Robin. And it was kind of like, in a way, the pre-Britney Britney song. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it was it was the prototype for Hit Me Baby One More Time in a certain sense. It was sort of like a a, a, a melding of R&B and pop, which is what Max Martin was doing at that time that sort of like launched him to fame, was sort of like taking the sounds of TLC and Brandy and stuff like that and sort of giving it a pop, a European pop sheen. Giving it to a white artist. <laughs> right? interesting his his baby one more time too i mean it was originally offered to the TLC. tlc right mm -hmm. and there are other britney songs that were you know originally offered to janet and there's this strange way in which the tempo of show me love like it it's it sounds like there there was this funny zone where 
all of these songs could have been offered to any of these artists where it was like, you know, they were generic Saints, never ever. Sense. And, right. you know, it, it's this sort of like mid tempo bop. Absolutely. It's like given the iconoclast that we came to know Robin as it's show me love is like this sort of generic ideal of a late nineties pop song that felt anonymous in a way that would be impossible to describe Robin as we came to know her later. So yeah. And I wonder, I guess what I'm wondering is like, how do you feel about show me love as a song looking back on it? How did you feel about it at the time? And do we see the Robin that we came to know today in that song? Or do you feel like it's just purely generic? And I mean, you were saying how shocked you were when you heard Be Mine for the first time. But now that you do know that that's her, when you hear Show Me Love today, do you hear the Robin of today? Or do you hear just a completely different artist? Yeah, I think, you know, you hear, you can hear Robin, you can hear the recognizable Robin thing of really trying to cut through. You can hear her directness. You can hear this kind of honest desire that she brings to her performances. I mean, I think she also sounds astonishingly mature for, you know, what she was 15, 16 when she recorded it. Yeah. um, I think, I feel like vocals and vocal performance has always been something she's taken very seriously, despite having sort of a thinner voice. Yeah. You can tell the sort of like work she puts into singing. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, the, the song itself, it is, it is, I, I think of it as completely separate from the Robin thing, right? The, right. the the Robin thing is this pent up longing and release and it's like loneliness and satisfaction and, you know, and, and this is just this mid tempo. It's like, it's, it's like a walk in the park. It's, you know, it's, mm. it's not, um, but it's, it's still, fi- it's quite filled with longing. I mean, the yeah. entire song really is centered around her begging somebody to express their feelings to her, which is very much present in all of the later day Robin music. Yeah. But do you, I mean, what do you, do you, do you find her in it? I, I do, but only in retrospect. That's mm-hmm. kind of like, like, cause I do find that her, conviction is there yeah and even if the song is much more generic than what we came to expect from her there's something like you're taken by her vocal performance that's the thing that i sort of come back yeah the directness is there the directness is there and the humanity is there in a way that like and i love britney but britney's whole thing is about roboticness it's it's about it's she makes roboticness art that's like the britney project and like that that was present from the beginning so even though hit me baby one more time and show me love share quite a bit in common there's an open-hearted vocal quality to robin that differentiates her So I hear that on Show Me Love, even if the song itself remains generic. And I will also put forth that it is a wonderful generic song. I mean, it's uh, I feel like it holds up quite well. At, maybe not in Robin canon, but as a song from that teen pop boom. But I think of like the 
the the musical essence of Robin is either something that's very left of center and like has mm. this like very clearly sort of this avant-garde energy that maps onto a really overtly pop frame or right. it's the stuff like Be Mine, Dancing on My Own, whatever that is like, it's such pure pop that it becomes almost a generic ideal. And Show Me Love is, it is like a really good, It's it doesn't feel like, central to the musical dna of, right of the pop right. project that in the same way that her later stuff does but yeah it is really it's kind of moving to listen to it and think about 16 year old robin like really trying to bring it in the booth for it i agree and also i think it is it may not be central or essential musically but i do sort of feel like her sort of like one hit wonder success is central in a way to like the tale of who she became yeah. later because she could have had it and then she she decided not to right and robin as a figure who has chosen to operate completely outside of the confines and the word there's chosen of mainstream pop is critical to our understanding of both her musical choices and I think her pop stardom writ large. The other thing about her on Show Me Love, and I think this is evident during that time period, is Britney was so much about selling sex appeal in a very sort of like overt way that I don't think Robin at that time was very comfortable. They all were. Christina, Britney, that was like a huge part of what they were doing was selling this sort of teeny bopper, come hither sex appeal that I don't think Robin naturally Yeah, it's impossible into. to imagine Robin, you know, doing the thing I was watching something on YouTube recently and I got served like the autoplay gave me Mandy Moore's video for candy. And it is impossible to imagine Robin doing this bullshit. You know, I mean, much as I love the Literally. Mandy Moore music video for candy, but it's like, she's not going to be dressed up as like a no. high schooler getting a hamburger, like doing a dance routine while the skateboarder goes by. Like, it's like none of that for Robin. <laughs> and not, not to men, not With for the nothing, long, but, man hair but Mand Mandy also disavowed all of that. Shit totally. Too. I mean, uh, yeah. Mandy and also I'd say of all the teeny bopper songs this is just totally tangential but Candy gives me the most show me love in terms of like exactly. they really they're yeah. very similar sounding yeah. songs so if you need any sort of like proof positive of Robin's perhaps inadvertent uh vanguardness during this period listen no further than Candy by Mandy Moore <laughs> basically everyone forgets about Robin. I mean, I like, as you were mentioning, like at least in America, I mean, it's important to, to, I guess, throw in here quickly that Robin did release a series of records following Show Me Love and the success of her first album uh, in Europe on a major label. She, I don't feel like treats them as canon. She doesn't perform any songs from them in the present day. I don't think there's a ton of memorable things to say about those sort of post Show Me Love albums she released i think some of those middle period records did have like minor hits in in sweden and maybe in other areas in europe but american audiences basically she falls completely by the wayside she's a one-hit wonder as you were mentioning she's more or less all saints or whatever you want to whoever whatever one-hit wonders you want to talk about from yeah. that teen pop film and then never ever is hard to beat though <laughs> <laughs> never Another ever iconic one iconic hit. yeah iconic <laughs> The acapella intro. Yeah. I need to um, know what, what I've done wrong. <laughs> so then basically we enter like the real birth of Robin, which was in 2005. She bucks her 
record label, starts her own label called Konnichiwa Records and releases a self-titled album, which is very fitting because clearly this is her sort of actually birthing herself as Mm -hmm. we know her today. And this record becomes something pretty unique in the pop universe. Talk to me about the music that's happening on that Robin self-titled album. I, I was listening to that album a couple of days ago in preparation for this. And it's like, that album to me feels so of a piece with like, so it came out, like, I think I heard it in 2005. Yeah. And, and it sounded like it was so of a piece of with like the Ed Banger stuff that was happening. Mm -hmm. Like there were, like, I think that, um, Kanichiwa Bitches and Cobra Style, which is a perfect Cobra Style, so good. You know, like you hear it and it's just, you're like, oh my God, it sounds like the future. I press trigger, I don't press people button. Nobody chaps come face me with something. Like how I have 22 and I'm with something. Tennis for you, so who gon' get the next dozen? I press trigger, I don't press people button. Nobody chaps come face me with something. Like how I have 22 and I'm with something. Tennis for you, so who gon' get the next dozen? Anytime they ready, pronounce it, stop watch. I wanna see who get it spread on the and, and an interesting amalgam, I think, something that she was doing really uniquely at this point, which is, then became De Rigor, was sort of taking electro-pop sounds and incorporating kind of like hip-hop. Like, she's rapping more or less on Konichiwa. Yeah, but it also sounds like Uffy, too, right? Like, it's like, right. it's, it's still, totally. you know, it's, it's she's, yeah, there's a little, like, the beat is definitely going a little harder than it, but it's, but it also sounds like Uffy, and it sort of fits into, like, you know, it fits into the general rise of Bloghouse to me. Like, the, the beats were very, like, angular. They were, it was, like, very clearly left of for, center. Just for, for the audience's edification here, what is Bloghouse? Bloghouse, oh my god. I like can't even. Blockhouse, <laughs> I think, is the whole. So Ed Banger is the record label behind like Justice, and so Blockhouse is like Simeon Mobile Disco, and Blockhouse is like it's like Van Shee, and it's mm-hmm. Switch and Sindan, and like these these sort of like it's it's this it's the music. In, in, it's like an indie dance movement. Yeah, it's also. indie dance like, music. It was a it's, huge movement that was sort of like bringing pop and dance elements into an indie into an indie or context. Yeah, and it. And it, you know, it it sort of feels like what (laughs) a room full of 19-year-olds wearing, you know, American apparel and, you know, just chugging beers with, like, gross side bangs and neon. Four loco. Yeah, four loco and PBR. (laughs) Like, it it just, it's it's the music you would listen to while looking like that. Yeah, so, okay, so what do I, when I think about that album, I mean... It sounds like, and this is why I think Robin is so fucking good as a performer and as a songwriter and as an artist is because it sounds like someone who has spent night after night after night at the club, you Mm -hmm. know, between midnight and 4.30 in the morning chasing the exact kind of release and pleasure and Mm. sort of sustained energy that she is giving to her listeners on this album. Like it, like that Robin, and and you can still hear that Robin on every track. Like this is a woman that knows what it's about. Like she, she knows what it's like to be there. She's one of us. She's she's one one of us. us. I mean, that's the great thing. She's not singing at you. She's singing with you. Yeah. She's like, she thinks of, she, she thinks, and this is what I find so beautiful about her. Like she thinks of the musical experience, the pop experience as something we create together like it's Mm. she would never want to be in a club where you face away from the dj like it's it's just 
you know, it has another one of the best pop songs of that decade, I think, which is With Every Heartbeat. Yeah, let's, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's zero in for a second on With Every Heartbeat, because I feel like this is a song that's, you know, one of the centerpieces of this uh, reemergence of Robin on this self-titled album. And it really sort of codifies what a Robin song will now be from this point forward. So I want to spend some time picking that apart a little bit with you. It was almost like when she hit on this song, she was like, ah, it's this is the epiphany moment. This is the moment where the entire Robin project as an artist comes into full bloom for everybody to see. feel like when I listen to this song, I hear so much of the Robin that I came to know on songs like Dancing on My Own and Call Your Girlfriend later on. And I just hear so much about just a person that is so passionate both about pop and about dance music, really, uh, like a historian of sorts almost in a way. Well, and it also, I mean, I, I think it actually is more interesting than those songs too. It's a little more experimental. It's a little mm-hmm. more strangely shaped because of how long it delays the payoff you know like it it's just that droning droning build and Mm. and it's so like there's so much it builds so much energy and it doesn't release till late and it's it's brilliant and it's like yeah, yeah I mean, that's, it's that is a great example of Robin's well versedness in dance and house music. Exactly, because, because she how, knows how to, how to right. do that build on on the format of a, of a really direct pop song, right? What? Yeah, and like what EDM, I always felt like sort of lost about the the pleasures of listening to dance music. Because yes, it has build and release, but real house music is supposed to build and build and build and build and build for a long time before you get that release. And with every heartbeat, really takes that. And I wouldn't necessarily call with every heartbeat heartbeat a house song but it does as you're talking about bring that element of like build and like the build 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 for like the first three quarters of the song and then finally kind of giving you the payoff it it hurts with every heartbeat it it hurts with every heartbeat the pleasure in like yeah it's like that song it's yeah it's this compressed version of this thing that you know robin you know robin loves which is the 12 minute mix you know where, where it's just where it's just back and forth and the you know, the vocals like flit in and flit out. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking up the lyrics and it's like what I, she's doing lyrically there, the thing that she does sonically, which is really boil things down to just, you know, the lyrics are, you know, maybe we could make it all right. We could make it better sometime. 
we maybe we could make it happen, baby. We could keep trying, but things will never mm. change. And then, as we were talking about with the build and release, it's like she doesn't even give you the end. It hurts with every heartbeat, which is the chorus, until you know near the end of the song, and then she just sort of repeats that in perpetuity. As yeah, it's a as sort of like controlled sort of detonation. And I think yeah, and it's funny. Like there, there's that part when she sings just a little, little bit better, good enough to waste some time. Tell me what it make you happy, baby. It's so good. And the trick is, it's like like she's talking about what the song is doing it's like she's gonna move it ahead just a little more she's gonna give you just a little bit more like tell me would it make you happy it's ugh, it's so what's good. what's she doing lyrically on that album that sort of codifies what robin gives to you as a lyricist and a vocalist mm. can we talk about be mine <laughs> yes so i i feel like so be mine and with every heartbeat are sort of twin songs on this record they yeah. come one after the other and they both are sort of setting the template that I think most people know from Dancing on My Own and Call Your Girlfriend but yes talk about Be Mine what's happening on Be Mine that sort of helps us codify like what a Robin song is so Be Mine and I would love to spend some time talking about the spoken word bridge yes the sweater (laughs) yeah or scarf is it a scarf or sweater yeah the scarf and then she's like the the scarf the the scarf before the scarf before Taylor's scarf. Bent down to tie her laces. Like, there's a yeah. really funny way she says laces there. That's like, it's really good. And you got down to tie her laces. Okay, so be mine. She is singing the choruses, and you never were, and you never will be mine, which is the Robin thesis. Exactly. Calling it the thesis is so important. It's like that feeling of longing, desire, loneliness, and never sort of getting the fulfillment or only or, or, or having to find the fulfillment in some way other than how you expected it. And then also sort of the text painting storytelling of creating the scene of how that all came to be. She's very good at zeroing in on moments and sort of giving you a visual like relationship to those feelings. Like it's it's a good thing tears never show in the pouring rain. As if a good thing ever could make up for all the pain. It's like, boom, there you are. You know what I mean? Like, right in the feeling, right in the space. It's a good thing tears never show in the pouring rain. As if a good thing ever could make up for all the pain. Story she unfurls here is kind of a classic Robin tale of wanting someone and not being able to have them, and then sort of circles around certain feelings she's constantly always giving you. Like, it's regrets. It's and- regrets. It's it's like a relationship that started and didn't and fizzled for some reason. Um because yeah. she says somehow they, they broke up and now she wants him back, but she realizes she's not gonna get him back. Yeah, and then the bridge as the bridge says, I saw you at the station. You had your arms around what's her name? What's her name? Exactly. She had on that scarf I gave you and you bent down to tie her laces. And then it's like building bum 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 and she's like, You look happy and that's great. Bum 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 Tension building. I just miss you. That's all. I just miss you. And it's like absolutely the most heartbreaking thing ever. I know she's so gentle and she says she's so gentle and sad. And but that's the you know You know what else you're sort of bring up into me is she's just very adorable. uh Like it's very interesting because she's kind of got this icy um Nordic presentation with the haircut and the scarf, and there's something almost kind of like hard-edged about her presentation. But then on record, there's something so soft and relatable and and intimate and 
and revealing or something that makes you just want to hug her. Yeah, you know? well, and it's like you, you think about all of the pop stars that have sung about loneliness and obviously, I mean, I guess this is hit me baby one more time, right? This is everything. But it's like yeah. Robin means it in a way that almost no like almost no single name pop star ever has. Like Robin Robin gives you real loneliness and I uh-huh. think and real loneliness is the center you know, the sort of void at the center of the pop experience, because when you want to be in a room with a bunch of people like fumbling towards euphoria, you're doing that because of the void <laughs> mm. and no one gets that like Robin. And so anyway, so, so be mine. I think it sets the template for the Robin song of, of lack and then all of this beauty and longing built from that lack. Yes. And the lack has to be super significant. The sadness has to be super significant for her to generate this euphoria that like depends on the sadness, which I find to be a really good existential lesson for life. What a song. We need to go out dancing to Robin. Oh my God, let's do it. (laughs) Come visit me. We'll bring your baby. Um, (laughs) So um, yeah, so I guess the next thing I want to get to is I do feel like Outside of the music, there was something that that album was doing for pop at the time, which was, as we were sort of touching on earlier, creating sort of an indie lane for pure pop music. And that was something that was extremely unique at that time. And I'm curious, what if you had to speculate, what do you think Robin's intentions were going into that album in terms of her pop stardom? Do you feel like she thought she was going to be huge massive superstar or do you think her intentions were to be something smaller and sort of cooler in the know i would guess i mean so i i have almost no real guess about this i'm like who the hell knows but i yeah but i you know if i if i had to put my money in i would i would say the latter because she she knew she could have gone back to max martin there's a lot of things she could have done. Like at this period, you're already getting like Dr. Luke in the cut with with other stuff. It's like she knows that she is a capable vehicle for generic radio pop. She has proven it. Yes. And she had spent the last however many years walking away from it. And, you and know, interestingly, one, one little tidbit that I find very interesting in this period is um, on Britney's Piece of Me, which appeared mm, on Blackout. You can um, hear her. In 2007, when you hear the female voice in the chorus going uh, in the background, you want a piece of me. That is unadulterated Robin. It's Robin without it. It's clearly Robin. And then <laughs> in the very funny, um, the, the really like iconically good um, little vocoder bridge of that song where she's like, I'm Miss American Dream. You know, yeah. like that whole uh-huh. like little part. Uh-huh. And you can it, like that part's all Robin too. But you know that that song was written by Klaus Alland, who, right? Klaus Alland, who is Robin's primary collaborator on both uh, her self-titled record and Body Talk, and perhaps pertinently a fellow Swede. And there's you know there's certainly a conversation also we had about Ro- you know the context of Sweden and Robin is a Swedish woman, and Sweden is such a central location for so much of pop history. Max Martin is also Swedish. Right. Bloodshy and Avant, who produced Piece of Me and lots of Blackout, are all and Toxic are also yeah. Swedish. You know, it's it, there's something like like 
if you're from Sweden, you know how to make like a transcendent pop music. There's someone you know? did a piece on this a while back, like talking about like what is the like why why does Sweden generate sort of the the source code for? But it's like a lot of it is like early childhood music education. I think <laughs> right, literally, and also just like it feels like it's part of their tradition. Like I also love the fact that like why did Robin record those background vocals on Piece of Me? She was probably just like those are probably just her friends. They and are she her was friends. Yeah. Out. Yeah. yeah. You know, and they're they all know each other, and they all have sort of like a precision eye for pop music that's like celebrated, and also I feel like taken seriously. Like I think that they like what Robin does, and I think that this is what gives people an access point to her that maybe they don't feel to other pop stars is that Robin takes the art of pop very seriously, right? And I, and I think that that somehow grants permission and that's apparent in what she does and that grants permission to people that like might dismiss other pop as frivolous as as accepting of what she's doing even though it is very pure pop in so many ways and I think in terms of pinpointing what allowed Robin to become the cool person's pop star is that when this record came out it was hard to come by in America yeah that was that was my real thing with it I remember being like that this was an era for me where I was like obsessed with reading every blog post every everything hearing every new song every you know I was super on the internet and everyone was talking about this record like oh my god Robin she you know as you were saying like the girl who made show me love has now rebranded and made like the coolest pop album of the year and I remember having to spend time like trying to find the individual tracks on LimeWire and shit like that. Oh yeah, I remember downloading the individual tracks on LimeWire. I actually got kicked off my school's... I lost Wi-Fi access as punishment for my first year because I had used too many megabytes on LimeWire. It's like the most 2005 story. Like Literally. Like I had to go to the library and plug in my Ethernet to keep downloading Robin albums. Yeah, I think there was some ironic, like I think the fact that she had made Show Me Love and that this was so surprising, like I think that there was probably, like I, I remember, I think that even in the indie world, there was this pleasure that people were taking in ironically loving pop and here was robin you know like she canceled out all the irony like like she, there, there's exactly. something about her it's like you don't ironically there's the music is so sincere and so like sufficiently obviously left of center that it there's mm-hmm. no approach to robin that's and so i think that's how she gets around the thing where people were either maybe averse to pop or loving it in a like lol this is my like pbr equivalent of me listening to this kelly clarkson you know ab mashup or something like right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know and and robin yes. was a way to combine those two things where it was like you could it was she so clearly had the kind of formal artistic cred like she was so clearly on this album somebody that was much more interested in the sweaty basement experience than than like being an arena stomping pop star even though she did inadvertently become one but it's like but but yeah yeah, I think that that's what's really interesting is like I've talked you know when Lindsay Weber was on and we were talking about Carly Rae we were sort of talking about this sort of lane that opened up during this period and I would gander as a result of Robin Mm -hmm. specifically this album and then sort of like really built upon by Body Talk which was like this lane for pop music that never existed before where it was like something culty and niche. Yeah. You know, there was such a long period of time where the, the, the notion of pop music and being the most widely popular music on the planet were inextricably linked to each other. And I think one thing that Robin and this record and Body Talk to help facilitate was to sort of cleave those two things from one another and to sort of say, here's pop music that's 
indie credible and that's a cult phenomenon. It has nothing to do with radio success or anything like, or album sales, well, which I, was very unique at that time. And I think of, so I just looked up when, when uh, one thing came out and trying to see how high it peaked on the charts. So that song did really chart, but I, I think of like, it's also like one thing, right? It's a, it's a, it's Amory, a, you're talking yeah, about? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. a pop, a perfect, perfect, perfect pop song that right. everybody loved. You know, like right. you could not find a single person to listen to music, no matter how sort of specialized Casual. or indie they right. believe themselves to be, that would right. not recognize that as an absolutely perfect song. And Banger. it did chart, but it's like, you know, like there's some, it's like Robin's output is like something like that or like Climax or something where it's, where it is a big, huge pop. And I guess in those cases, those songs did hugely chart in a way that Robin and and Usher is a massive superstar in the yeah. traditional sense. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. But but there but you know, you know what I mean about like the musical quality of that song, right? There's something yes. about it like where like being left upset like where it's yeah. not it, it is pop but it's not sort of just like driving mechanical at your pleasure centers scientifically engineered. Yeah, where there's something like, strange and kind of right. there there are weird spaces and yeah. I, but I, I sometimes do wonder, and this sort of will bring us into our discussion about body talk, which is like, I feel like in some ways the Robin mythos that was created in this era of her breaking with the major label system, of her releasing this independently, almost in, and also her appearance, the fact that she sort of presented herself in this sort of hipstery sort of way that was very anti-Jennifer Lopez, anti-Sierra, anti-Britney. It was, it, was, it was androgynous. It was, you know, it was distinctly Nordic feeling and European feeling that I almost feel like in some ways... I don't want to take away from the avant aspects of her music, but in some ways almost oversold that part of it Mm -hmm. and sort of, and sort of in some ways took away from the fact that like a song like be mine is a very accessible song. It is, it is, it is a song that in a different universe could have been a hit in a traditional sense. It's not like yeah. it's so strange and weird that like you couldn't have pictured oh, not it at all. being a smash. I mean, no, and it's like it's pure sugar. It's like, but so what you're saying is that you think she could have charted if her presentation had been like, yeah, I mean that, but more sort of like the branding the as super indie, femme, like. Like, yeah, like maybe if she, if if it wasn't, if the whole story around that album wasn't like, I'm Robin saying fuck you to this major label system, which was an incredible, amazing part of that whole era. I wonder if like, you know, because presentation in PR is very important. And I sometimes wonder if she limited the scope of her success in some ways by doing that. I'm sure she did. And I'm sure she knew that and was, you know what I mean? You know, what? another song that I think about when I think about, um, do you remember that Annie song, Heartbeat? Of course, yeah. Um, yeah. Right. And it's like, and so that came out, I think a little bit before the, before Robin, right. but it was like, that was another like pure sugar, but sort of, there was something, right. There was something a little avant about right. it. It was pop, but left yeah. center. Right. Like that was my point at sort of asking about like, what do you think her intentions were? Because I do ultimately feel like this was what she wanted. It was about art for her and treating pop as art, a very Swedish thing. And it wasn't about needing to be the most successful. And thus it was not at least by traditional metrics or American sort of commercialism, pop commercialism metrics, which, you know, Robin challenges a lot of things. And I think her pop career is 
one of those things that challenges our American notions of success. So let's switch gears here and talk about Body Talk. So we have this Robin era. It extends for three years. It's sort of a mythological album in America. I don't even know when it even is officially released here. Maybe not till three years after it was released in, in the UK and Sweden in 2005, maybe in around 2008. And then in 2010, she starts rolling out Body Talk. Uh, which begins the series of three EPs that she releases over a span of about a year and becomes sort of like a focal point of indie pop fascination. It's immediately critically lauded. It is all over sort of like the in the know part of the pop musical blogosphere. And uh, the other thing that I think is just so interesting and it kind of plays off of our previous conversation was... I think during the Robin era, what she was doing musically really was kind of outside of the mainstream of pop, especially in an American context, which at the time of its release was dominated by the sort of sexy hip hop and B of Jennifer Lopez and Sierra Nelly Furtado, that kind of thing. It didn't fit that very well. Body Talk to me is much more, A, just generally centrist in terms of being pop music. It's There are experimental records on there, like Don't Fucking Tell Me What To Do and yeah. the Snoop Dogg song. And there's there's a few the on there Snoop that Dogg you could song. say, yeah. yeah, that you could say are truly weird. Yeah. But the centerpieces of that album, Dancing On My Own, Hang With Me, mm-hmm. Call Your Girlfriend, Indestructible, these songs are genius, brilliant, voice of a generation, <laughs> never done before, whatever, all yeah. of that stuff. You know, I don't, I'm not trying to demean them, but they are very, very, very much of a piece with me in many ways to Teenage Dream, yep. to the Rihanna EDM songs of that time, to some of what Lady Gaga was doing. Like they're, they're not so far off center. No. And they are the best of those bunch. <laughs> So it was curious to me again at that time, and this is why I sort of brought up the thing about presentation, about like, why is this not connecting on a major level? Like when I heard Dancing on My Own for the first time, I was like, this is the greatest song I have ever Ever heard heard in (laughs) my life. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, I, she's still on her own label effectively, right? Right. Yeah, but I mean, you you have a, you have songs in that era like Icona Pops. I love it. These are yeah. random songs by random artists that are breaking majorly, and the, you know, Icona Pop are also I think Swedish. Like there, there's other records that are like breaking by sort of art, left of center artists in a way that Dancing on My Own and that, never that were did. on the radio. Right. And I guess like at that point, it felt even more mysterious than it had before that she wasn't breaking as big. But it also sets up this narrative that I guess we're going to get into now about how Robin's legacy ultimately and Dancing on My Own and Call Your Girlfriend's legacy, they stand up as seemingly massive hits without ever having charted here. And that's really an important thing. So let's let's zero in on Dancing on My Own and Call Your Girlfriend, which are the two sort of like centerpieces of the body talk era and sort of solidify Robin as the quintessential avant pop artist of the generation. In your piece that you wrote about Honey, you talk about how Dancing on My Own and Call Your Girlfriend are the quintessential Robin songs. And you say, I love, you say, they're, because they encapsulate pure thudding rapture, even as the lyrics are agonized and slightly psychotic. Can yeah, you talk to me about that? It's, I was going to say, like, what do I think is the best? And, and I would, maybe the only one that would challenge it is Teenage Dream because of right. the post-chorus, I'm going to get your heart racing part. Yeah. Yeah. And God. I think the thing is, 
all of those Robin songs, like start to finish, all of those songs have that sort of the structural perfection that that part of Teenage Dream, I mean, the whole Teenage Dream is is perfect to me. And, and that would be, you know, really, I don't even know if I would inch this Robin one over it. But in a way, it is emblematic of the whole Robin project where there is a part of it that is like the purest, the most distilled, the most essential, like pop everything, right? And then there's something in either the presentation or the lyrical content that's so cracked in a beautiful, beautiful way. And right. right I mean, it's like, so call your, like, call your girlfriend. It's, <laughs> it's her just like coaching someone through, <laughs> through the, you know, the co- coaxing and convincing someone to break up with their girlfriend for Robin. <laughs> That really, that is truly psychotic. Yeah, and it's like the the enthusiasm. Yes, and who doesn't feel psychotic in those situations? No, exactly, exactly. Very true. But and it's so funny. Like both of those songs are so intensely funny because the commitment of Robin to the storyline is so absolute that you can't even see around the storyline. Like it's just that's all (laughs) it is. There's this perfect unity of the euphoria of the song and the insanity of the project. And Mm -hmm. it's the same with Dancing on My Own, where it's like. You know, this it's it is this most generically perfect, you know, beautiful pop song. And it's literally like I'm in the corner watching you kiss her. But <laughs> you know, <laughs> like watching you kiss her. It brings out the stalker in all of us. Yeah, and it's like, are you in the corner watching you kiss her? Like, like that, yeah. that is like, you know, you see that person at the party and it's like, oh no. But then we're all like, oh yes, take me there. Like, take me there. I want to mm-hmm. be in the corner. I want to be watching you kiss her. Like, mm-hmm. I want to be fucking crying and dancing. Like, you know. Right. <laughs> it makes the experience of agony ecstasy. It yep. makes you want to revel in pain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And... It's, it's, and in that way, right, maybe it is like the purest expression of something at the center of pop. Well, what I love what you're saying also about this and also kind of brings the Katy, and also, by the way, it's become now a trope on this podcast that I drag Katy Perry. So I'm not dragging her. I love Teenage Dream. But I do think it's an interesting contrast because there is something she's Robin is willing to be a fucking mess on these songs in a way that like a song like Teenage Dream is so not like Mm -hmm. you know like for all for all of the amazingness of Teenage Dream it's pure fantasy it's pure feeling amazing about yourself it's pure escapism in that way sing a song like that 
Right. And because like Robin is on honest. here. It's not, it's not, right. it's, it's aspirational, but it's not honest. And, and I do. Yeah. And, and there's no question that dancing on my own and call your girlfriend have just, were just so hugely inspirational to so many bigger pop stars at that time. Oh, yeah. And the whole I'm crying on the dance floor thing is now an entire musical genre Absolutely. that like was created by that song that I can like name 50 songs yeah, that and are just not going like, to come to yeah, my head. And just at this one moment. more thing on dancing on my own, like just the, the drums on that song are just. Yeah. Mm. Amazing. Mm. And and that driving, do, 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 do. you know yeah. what I was listening to the other day that it re- that I was like, oh, this oh is yeah, and like the insp- super like four on the floor, the, like do, 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 yeah, do, 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 and then it just breaks. You know, you know what that is? Yeah, it's "Open Your Heart" by Madonna. The last thing I want to touch on in this here is you say that Robin, in your piece you wrote, that she's able to perform overtly sexy music that's completely disconnected from the performance of conventional desirability. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I mean what we've been talking about, right? It's like she she's not going to she's she has never once played the game of trying to dress up as this femme like a pop sex object like she's not right. she dresses up like a robot she wears giant platform shoes like she she has right. never once grown out her hair but her music is so physically all-encompassing that it is sexy mm. and it is mm-hmm. it is it's like the the physical release and the way that it insinuates like bodies crammed together and mm. like the desire for someone's touch like it's it is so it's all about conventional desire but the but i think maybe one of the like maybe it's a gift that robin has given us by being honest in her sexual presentation and not doing the the canned thing because i don't know it's like it it's it's honest it it, like it it, it is what actual sort of ecstasy and desire feels like which is not dressed up you know Mm -hmm. in the Katy perry like big wig and teenage jeans like it's like it's it feels like it feels like a mess often right well i I mean in reality adult sexuality and and adult sensuality is often paired with real vulnerability yeah exactly not it it isn't it isn't this sort of like let me thrust my sort of body in your face which is fine but it's just like that she really embodies something more nuanced and mature about what sexuality really is yeah like actual connection is never about it, like it, it, it tends not to contain like this, per, this kind of a one-sided genuflection at someone's you know perfect right. thing. Like it's exactly. it's something so much more like messy and wonderful. And yeah, yeah. I mean, people are often at their most appealing and their most vulnerable. And yeah. I think Robin really embodies that in her music. I'm so glad that, that she like, never. Like, aren't you so glad that Robin like has given us? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, She's perfect. She's done ev- like I. I, as I was listening to to her record yesterday, preparing for this, I was like, "This is my favorite artist of all time." I know. Because yeah, you think I, she's tier five? We gotta talk about this. No, okay, we're gonna get to it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I, I want I want to give you a so basically we have that era. Robin becomes the cult pop hero of all time. Like there is 
like she defines a certain brand of pop stardom that as I've talked about on other episodes of this that has been a mantle that's been sort of taken over by Carly Rae and Charlie XCX these artists that are making somewhat left of I mean I don't know if I would call Carly Rae's music left of center but Charlie's music is certainly left of center this yeah. lane for pop stars where it's like be about being a cult phenomenon a beloved critical success and it's not about charting and I think Dancing on My Own really encapsulates that it is the biggest song in the world and it never charted in America and yes. it and it scans that way. And I do think it's very prescient in many ways because chart success has become such a wonky thing, generally speaking, nowadays. And another point I just needed to throw in here that hit me the other day is it actually weirdly reminds me in certain ways of what Beyonce has done in the later part of her sure. career, which yeah. is that Beyonce has not... The sort of the secret tea about Beyonce's later period career is that she has not had big radio singles. She's not had big like success by traditional metrics. It's all about impact. And I feel like Dancing on My Own in some ways is akin to that mm -hmm. in a certain way. Mm -hmm. The impact of the song is greater than any of these metrics could possibly sort of denote. Or it's even like, to me, like my favorite Beyonce album is Four, obviously. Um, yeah, of course, because <laughs> you have taste. You know? <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's like, some, you know, I did Party ever chart or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, like there's some, did, did School in Life ever chart? And it's like, those are... Perfect, no perfect song. yes but but beyonce the, the beyonce has not had a radio hit single since single ladies uh -huh. think about that uh -huh. that's 2008 wow. yet she's the biggest thing on earth right because what she did was by taking by elevating what she was doing in her art and sort of moving beyond the metrics of traditional pop she made impact about something greater than numbers on a right. chart and i think that that's something that robin in her own little way i'm not saying done. she's as big as beyonce has done yeah and and that's why she's playing at Madison Square Garden with zero fucking actual hit records right. in her later part of her career. Right. You know, you know, like who else plays Madison Square Garden with one top 10 hit? It's very rare for a yeah. pop star to do that. So when it comes to the Pantheon, I have now been challenged on this enough times that I feel like you're a good person for me to bring up this existential question that I'm having with it, which yeah. is... The Pantheon is set up to really measure success by these traditional metrics, kind of exactly what we were just talking about. Like, like there are artists in tier one, for instance, like I'm thinking about. So tier one is like the icons, the biggest stars of the genre. They're inextricable from what we think of as a pop star. There are artists in that mix that sort of don't hit a lot of the metrics I have in there. One of them that's coming to mind is Cher. Cher is somebody that doesn't have like a gluttonous amount of top 10 singles or anything like that, but she's obviously an icon. Mm -hmm. And like, you just couldn't possibly not put her in the same company as like Madonna and, and Michael and all of like the, the big dogs. I think what I'm running up against here a little bit is this tier five situation. Tier five I've sort of designated as many different sub tiers. There's like, you know, one hit wonders. There's like people that had a lot of hype and were never really successful. And then there's kind of these niche legends, which Robin yes. is sort of the emblematic I don't think these things go together. Is that what they you They don't think? go together. Yeah. They don't go together. And I almost don't know how to sort of slot them in the pantheon at all. Like how do you measure someone like Robin's success? I have an idea for you. Because Please, this bring is it on. Because, okay, like I think, right, I was looking at the document you sent explaining the yeah. tears and I was like, how yeah. dare, <laughs> how <laughs> dare you put Nicole Scherzinger and Robin in the same category. Like there's just, you know, it's not even like, you know, as a Carly Rae stand, like I understand the placement of Carly Rae in, yeah. you know, in, in the, it, but here's what I think. I mean, as we've discussed, like, so I think of Robin to pop music 
She is, again, like she's the source code. She is the pure theory. She's like the Baudrillard or the like Guy Debord. Like she's like, she she's writing the basic structural formulas for all of the things that people kind of adulterate. And so mm-hmm. in that way, like I think Robin and maybe a couple of other people, if the, if the, I'm, I'm making if anyone listening, it's like, I'm making the little pyramid. It's like <laughs> Robin is a thin line going from the bottom to the top. Like, Oh my God. I know that breaks yeah. the formula, but that, but that no, let's like, break the formula. She likes to break her, the formula. That's where she lives because she, yeah. a, like she sells out MSG, like the people at mm-hmm. the top, like she, right. she has, you know, she could play to a significant to a to a crowd of fifteen thousand. She could get people singing along to fifteen songs, twenty songs, start to finish. Right, like people know. Yeah, um, definitely. She's do you mononymous. see? Do you see? Do you she's, see? She's mononymous. That's yeah. true. Do you see her as even part and parcel with the Pantheon, or is she almost like? Is it something tangential or sort of like a Venn diagram where it's like connected, but it's not? the same well within that framework so what the only the instinct that i the instinct that i think is so undeniable and i think true and accurate about robin is that she she does like if we're gonna place her within a pyramid where the biggest people are at the top and and her sound to me it's it just it's not a hor it's not a horizontal she's not in a horizontal tier she's in a vertical one she cuts right she's she cuts through it um she like right like, or like hovers a uh, 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 it's like the is foundational like yeah. in a, she's really or she's a, or she's like a, she's one of the she's one of the arms of the triangle like slanting from right. top to bottom like she's uh-huh. a strange strange case and i don't think that there are other artists like that that so she's unique amongst all artists even in these niche like do you find do you think she's unique in even amongst the carlies and charlies of the world charlie i think is you know the the com- someone comparable who right I mean, maybe not right now, but, you know, we have this conversation five or 10 years down the line. And I think like Charlie's another another person who's like pushing like a, a little bit ahead, right. you know, like all the right. time. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if I would say that she's unique, but but I can't off the top of my head think of anyone else who who is like Robin, right? Someone who has had the conventional success kind of explicitly rejected it, but then continued to produce this body of work that anyone that cares about pop music knows is absolutely well, Char- Charlie, right? Charlie and Carly, they both, yeah. they, they all kind of followed her blueprint. Carly had Call Me Maybe, Charlie had her like boom clap fancy moment and then sort of proceeded to be like, what I want to do might not align with like what will be successful. And I'm sort of going to embrace that to the extent that I can. Yeah. Even though I, I didn't like Carly's last album. <laughs> yeah. Say. Me neither. Me like, neither. Not at all. But, and, 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 and Carly is, Carly's difficult because unlike Charlie and Robin, what Carly's doing musically is very, very centrist and unchallenging. Yeah. That's the charm of Carly. It's basic and simple. Yeah. You know and, I mean? and, and it's like, and the chart, the, the link between Charlie and Robin too, is it's like, these are two artists who like, they are in it. They are in and of the experience they're trying to create. Right. It's like, they are people of the, the packed venue, you know, like they, it's it's a sort of there's like a it's a communal thing, the, and, yeah. and and I, and I think that they're like as what you were saying at the top. It's like you know if you meet another rock, there's something about the fact that they aren't mainstream that adds to the pleasure of it, which is that you know if you meet another Robin fan, you know if you meet another Carly fan, there's something 
sort of sacred about your bond with yeah. that person. Yeah. You know, and that's integral to the experience. You'll never have that really with Ariana Grande. You know what I mean? She's so big. She's so popular. And no knocks to her, but yeah. it's like everyone's an Ariana Grande fan. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Well, with, with Robin, though, you get that pleasure like the sneaky thing about that pleasure is that everyone's a Robin fan, like everyone in MSG, you know, it's like you, it it actually, by now there actually are so many of us. Like it's right. Clearly it's anyone that's ever wanted to dance around in their bedroom. Like it's, but by the same token though, the thing, the thing about the MSG show that should be said is that Robin isn't going to be able to then take the MSG tour at show and tour arenas across America. That's where like her fandom is concentrated in these major Coastal cities where cities. people are, <laughs> yeah, where people are in the know, yeah. where they are tuned in in a certain way because you're not going to hear the songs on the radio. You're not going, you know what I mean? So yeah. there, you do have to have a certain amount of in the knownness to know. And all of us happen to be concentrated in these cities where she could sell out an arena. Yeah, I guess but she Robin, wants, she Rob, play like Robin can't go. Things. Robin can't go to Ohio and sell out an arena. You know what I mean? Whereas like Katie and Ariana and all of those girls are going to sell out arenas no matter where they go. So that's sort of something that also separates her. And I'm sort of just wondering like, do do the artists like Robin and Charlie sort of need their own tier? That's one thing that I'm sort of toying around with do they need their own tier do they need their own sort of tangential pantheon where like they where like these niche pop artists uh, uh like have kind of like their own little like zone for themselves like i don't know that's one thing that i'm tossing around in my head i think that you should make them one of the arms you should give them okay just give <laughs> that, them that's like my arm. that's and my what vote. are we gonna and we call that tier niche legends and we just sort of give it like it's yeah own little, like 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 someone who's whose success slants them down, but whose influence slants them up and who like has mm. probably affected, you know, influenced many of the contemporary artists that work right. that have worked at the same time as them. And it's not a number necessarily. Like it doesn't have a number. Yeah, because I think it's hard to because it's like you you know, the 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 tiers are organized by conventional metrics of success. But right. what we are talking about is sort of like musical influence, right? Right. And, and you're right, right that there, there is a way that that those those can't be talked about in the same way, like I don't think you can try to fit her into fit them into the tier system, but they they do still belong within the, the, the landscape. Like like there has yes. to be some way. Like the the pyramid makes sense. It does right. make sense to organize people that way. But there's right. just um, it, it it's a disservice to artists like this to talk about them purely in terms of charts or chart sales. I agree. And. If you you're not, you can't because me- you can't measure. And I think that that's also it's something that we have to deal with more in a modern context than we do with like the big pop stars of the yeah. '80s, '90s, and 2000s. Because as Robin, as we've been talking about, Robin's ability to be this sort of like super impactful artist without necessarily the traditional metrics is purely the result of the internet. Right. It is a result of having like the way songs get popular by being on girls. It's like there's something very modern about this lane of pop stars that didn't really exist. Like if you weren't janet or madonna in the 80s nobody knew who the fuck you were it was like you were were you were your one hit wonder and then yeah yeah. right exactly like you were either a major pop star if you were making pop music there was a lane to be like a local rock band like you could be you know you could be like a regional rock band at that time but in terms of pop music this is new right and that's one of robin's legacies to me is that she helped codify an entire kind of new ecosystem for what for pure pop artists who don't need traditional popularity to be successful you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and i think that's one of her legacies so where are we going to place her where are you going to place her 
I'm going to have to say that she's a niche legend, but what I'm going to say to the audience is that I'm going to reposition the niche legends into something arm, like yeah. into another thing, into yeah. something tangential. Because I do think that you're right that there's, like, whereas other tiers have other subcategories, I still think they're of a piece. Like, for instance, yeah. sorry, this is like so in the weeds for me. But for instance, in tier three, you have two sub arms to that tier. One is people that are having a, current hot moment so they're two or three albums into their like initial hot run ariana the weekend you know maybe i mean justin bieber's cuspy too but like things like that and then you also have people that only had that first hot run and weren't able to sort of like get out from under that and have the thing that sort of takes their career after eight or ten years to another phase of success so my point to you with the tier three thing is i still think that whether you are currently having that moment or or you only had that moment, they're still of a piece. Like they still fit together to me mm -hmm. in a certain way. Yeah. Whereas what, to your point, putting Robin and Nicole Scherzinger and Carrie Hilson in the same category feels just wrong. Because you can't, like you have to analyze Robin in terms of musical impact. Yes. So we didn't get to really talk, we didn't talk about Honey. So I want to go out on a Honey song. And for those who don't know, Honey is Robin's most recent record. She disappeared for quite a long time in terms of making solo records after Body Talk and came back recently with Honey, which was a much quieter, softer, pretty big departure from the music we had known from her before. So with that in mind, what is your favorite song on Honey? Is it Honey? And what mm. why what is what is special about Honey and what is special about this song you're about to choose? You know, the song that I listen to most now is Human Being, honestly. Um mm. like an, an ever again, actually. But I but yeah, we gotta go out on honey. It's so fucking yeah. good. I, I I as I wrote in that piece, I mean it, it it has it's gentler. It doesn't hit. It doesn't pummel you the same way those other ones do. But when it came out, I mean, I I would, I put it on on repeat and I would walk around Brooklyn for two hours, like in, you know, late at night, just listening to that song and feeling like everything was possible. And, mm. and I, I find it so admirable about Robin that she, I think it's really hard to deescalate from the kind of bionic force that she was giving us in body talk. I think it's really, really hard to come down from that and not try to do it again and not try to replicate it and force it and go super hard. And and I find it really inspiring, like in a in a sort of human arc. And you know, obviously there's there's, you know, you could talk about it too. Like there's so much personal tragedy that happened in her life between body talk and this album. Right. And that's why she took so long, but I find it really moving to the, you know, it's like her going from 30 to 40 or whatever. It's like, right. she, she figured out a way to retain the Robin magic and give you that punch of, of serotonin and like in hearts and stars and fireworks, but she made it softer and she made it more physical and I think it's it's so hard to evolve the way that she did. And she did sacrifice. Like, people didn't love that album the way that they loved right. Body Talk. And, right. and she she knew she wasn't giving people that same kind of album. And I think it's really amazing. Like, she stepped us down from that Robin High gently, you know? And I think mm. Robin is, like, one of – it's. I mean, Honey gentle is, is – Gentle is a great word for Honey, actually. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's hard to go gentle after you've been bionic. And as – to go from one quality to the other is just a really beautiful movement. Mm. I couldn't agree more. And I think that Honey, both just to conclude this, Honey speaks to 
both, I think, what we were getting at earlier, which is like Robin isn't interested in being what you want her to be in that sense. Like her career bears that out. Like she, in this, in a way, as as much as I might have been initially disappointed that we didn't get another album of ten great body talk songs, it was perfectly Robin to do what she did. Yeah. She's not. She. That's not what she. That's not why she broke free of the major label system. That's not why she sort of totally and bravely carved her own path through the pop universe. Yeah, so she can make a song where she's ordering lunch at a beach club. (laughs) Exactly. And and and, but what I do love about Honey, as you were getting at, is that what it retains is exactly what we've been talking about this entire time. The lyric of the chorus is you're not gonna get what you want, but I have what you need. Mm -hmm. And in a way I feel like that encapsulates the longing quality that we look for in a Robin song. The sort of like push and pull between like agony and ecstasy and like sort of never having everything that you want and sort of having to live in that space and that's something that is true of every great Robin song. Gia thank you so much for being here it was truly an honor to get to do this with you. It was a delight. Thank you for having me and for talking about Robin. My pleasure I hope you'll come back sometime. Every color and every taste, every breath it whispers your name, it's like a rose on the pavement Every color all right so that's all she wrote robin pop pantheon in the books robin the judgment is rendered and she's in a new tier that i'm still processing in my head and i want to thank so much gia for being here to help me sort of figure out how to separate these groups of stars out but robin is in the niche legend tier which is going to be something that's sort of its new own thing and i'm going to follow up more about that on social media in the coming weeks so go follow us there on pop pantheon pod thank you so much to gia i cannot express what a huge fan i am of hers and what an honor it was to get to talk about robin with her if you haven't read her book trick mirror go get it it's fucking genius read all of her work in the new yorker including her piece on robin which i will link in the show notes again follow us at pop pantheon pod on instagram for more fun stuff forthcoming tonight and tomorrow where we're gonna kiki about robin a little bit more follow me on instagram and twitter at dj louie xiv l-o-u-i-e xiv and i will see you guys in a couple of weeks for another episode of pop pantheon have a great weekend and i will see you soon bye